Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I'm chatting to Meggie who's in Minnesota and she's been sober for about 237 days and it's 6am in the morning (laughs) for you Meggie. So thank you so much for making this time for me today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm excited to get into your story as well. So, but why don't we, um, why don't you introduce yourself and we can get to know you a little bit. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump in. Okay. Um, my name is Maggie. I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. I've lived in the Twin Cities area for the majority of my life. Um, I'm a mom of four small children. My oldest Georgie is six, and then Wilhelmina is four, and then Francis is two, and Hank is, he was a bit of a surprise, he's the youngest, and he's one. So there's 16 months between Francis and Hank. Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> so it's house, uh, at this, in the morning time and throughout the entire day. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, I'm I'm so excited to be here. I I uh, teach hot yoga at um in at a little studio, and it it offers hot yoga, but it also offers like prenatal classes. I teach a bar class, um, but I do that once a week, and I'm really I really enjoy that. I enjoy the community there, um, and then I do a little bit of freelance writing on the side, and I also sell some vintage women's clothing online and in some markets as well. But those are all kinds of things that I can pick up and put down, like in as I have time throughout um, throughout the year. And right now it's a little bit less time, so um, I spend quite a bit of time at home with the kids. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I like I like to spend time with my family. We we have a dog. We go on walks as a family sometimes. We live in an old home. We're planning to fix it. You know, we've been planning to fix it up for years. We're do little projects on that, things like that. Nice. Oh, it sounds yeah, it sounds we got a lot, a lot going on, but um a lot of uh creative stuff and yeah, it just sounds like quite a lot of varied fun stuff which is nice yeah yeah Yeah. definitely little pursuits that like I enjoy are very creative I used to be a teacher so these little side pursuits are things I probably wouldn't have time for if I was still teaching so yeah yeah Yeah, that's right yeah you must have your hands full I think as well with uh four quite young 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 kiddies (laughs) yeah they're little Mm -hmm. (sighs) great okay well why don't we um jump into your story um why don't you tell us about the role that alcohol played in your life and and take us back to the beginning okay um so I like a lot of people on the podcast I started drinking probably in my mid to late teens um and I didn't really yeah just sort of started drinking as a binge drinker and continued that way all the way through 
I didn't drink a ton in high school, um, but definitely by the time I got to college, I was like an established drinker and felt comfortable going to parties and and drinking quite a bit. Um, I had a pretty serious trauma my first uh, year of college. Um, and I'll, I'll share a little bit about that. Um, but I went to, I went to a bar and ended up getting a ride home with, um, a person that played in the band at, um, at this bar. I'm a little bit peripherally, but you know, not very well. I'd been to a party with him before, whatever. And, um, we ended up sleeping together that night, which is whatever, fine. But I, that was the first time for me. And so that was a little bit, I didn't, you know, remember very much about it. And I was very intoxicated and he wasn't, you know, assumably because he had driven home and he'd been on stage. So whatever. Um, so that was a little bit scary and whatever traumatic in itself. But then I found out a couple of months later that I was pregnant. And so I ended up carrying the baby to term and placing him up for adoption. So, um, and that was very, like a very sad, very lonely, difficult time mm-hmm. in my life. And it caused a little bit of strife in my family. You know, there were a lot of opinions on whether or not I should be doing that or how I should be dealing with this situation in my life. Um, so I ended up just, yeah, I felt a lot of isolation and loneliness and yeah, it was very sad. And then after the placement itself, that was, you know, really heartbreaking for me. And, um, but I ended up returning to the same college after, after placing Nathan. And so it was like a very quick turnaround. Like I was just gone for a little bit and then I came back and I just didn't really felt like I relate to my peers very well when I came back and I drank a lot to cope with. I felt like I had a scarlet letter on my chest. Not everybody knew about it, but I felt like everybody knew and Um, so yeah, so, and and I drank a lot in college then it really like turned up the volume just to cope, you know, just because I felt alone and different from everyone else. Uh, but then at some point I kind of found, um, I found my way into my major, which was English and there are a lot of creative writing classes that I really enjoyed. And I found a group of friends that I really connected with and I, you know, wrote for the school newspaper and was part of the literary magazine. And I, f- I found some projects and I found my, you know, people and it ended up s- starting to be a better experience at my, at my university. So, um, finished out school and ended up doing well, but like, you know, the entire time there was a lot of scary drinking happening mm-hmm. and con- I, I recognized that I was drinking a lot more than everyone else. And I was, and I sort of was just like, well, you know, this thing happened and I'm not like everybody else. So, so after, um, college, I moved abroad with my then boyfriend for a little while. I got my TEFL. I don't, it's teaching English Mm. as a foreign language. Yeah. I got that in Spain and Granada and, then taught in Spain for a while and then uh, went to Germany and lived in Germany for about, I think like 10 months. We taught in Cologne, Germany. And that was a cool experience. And I could feel myself like kind of trying to figure out how to be an adult and maybe try to, you know, let go of some of the crazy behaviors, but also, you know, we were abroad and 
we were young. And so we were also drinking a lot at that time. And there was like fun reason, like little side trips and beer garden, you know, there was always a reason to be drinking. And I just really took advantage of all of those reasons. Um, And then then I moved, I ended up moving home. It was just kind of time I felt like to come home and my relationship was a little bit rocky with my partner, probably because we were drinking so much and life was just very chaotic. Um, So we moved home and I ended up getting an apartment and uh, started working at a Montessori preschool and trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And I ended up going going back um, to get my master's, my license and master's for special education. And so that was a nice time of life. I felt, you know, a little bit more grounded and settled again. And around that time, I started reconnecting with a friend from college. Um, His name is Caleb. He's my husband now. But during that time, we started just hanging out as friends. I was dating somebody else at first. And um, and then we like eventually broke up with him for, you know, not because of Caleb at all. Um, but I broke up with him and then we started dating and um, the, I think the relationship became pretty solid pretty quickly because we had all these years of friendship behind us. Like even when I was abroad in Europe and um, but we'd stayed in close, we'd like emailed and things like that. So um, we started dating and got into a pretty serious relationship and Caleb was not as much of a drinker. He's still not as much of a drinker. Um, he, he does drink occasionally, but it's never seemed to be an issue for him to just have like one or two, you know, mm-hmm. whereas if I have one or two, then I want all of the drinks in the entire establishment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, um, it helped, I think, to be with him because it was easier to, uh, or I noticed more that other people could moderate, whereas I couldn't. And I, I think that it started, it helped me kind of to like settle down a little bit, but I still did my role in the relationship was kind of being a little bit sloppy and a little bit messy, you know, and so a little bit of a drunk. And so, um, and we would stay up late lots of nights, you know, early on in our relationship and like drink whiskey and smoke cigarettes on the porch and, you know, and So that was, that was one way that we did connect, but he was much better about just like the not drinking for the rest of the week, whereas it would be a struggle, you know, for me. Um, And I ended up getting my license and then I started teaching um, in a middle school and I really loved it. I loved the kids at the middle school, um, but it was, you know, I think that there's a lot of like bureaucracy and it's, it is a very stressful emotionally to teach. And, um, I think I like, I just kept finding reasons to always just be drinking a lot on the weekends. Or if there was ever an occasion, like if friends and I went out to the bar I'd be like, Oh, well, you know, work is such, such a struggle or we've got so much going on at the school. Then like, I would just use it as an excuse to, you know, just really go, go crazy with alcohol whenever I was drinking. Um, yeah. And so we ended up getting married about midway through the, I taught for five years, about halfway through, I got married to Caleb and, um, our wedding was up at my parents' cabin up North. And, um, there was a big group that came up. It's like a, a big property and, 
quite a few people came and like, and it's sort it's this like event that really sticks out for me because I really don't remember the entire day because I was just drinking so heavily the entire day. So I've heard you talk a lot about your sober wedding and I wish that I could go back and do it again because um, I have like zero memories from the day. Mm-hmm. And all, but I do have a lot of shame and regret because I like, even if I see pictures of the day, I'm like, I don't know what I said to that person. I don't know what was going on. You know, I just mm-hmm. wandering around like a drunk person does. Um, so, but during that time prior to the wedding, as I was in my teaching position, I was in sort of the solid relationship. I did decide to, um, reach out to a therapist and established a relationship with a therapist. I kind of wanted to sort through some of the stuff with Nathan, who's the mm. child I placed for adoption. And I just wanted to kind of, um, yeah, I wanted to see if I could, um, clear out some of, some of the things that still seem to be like issues for me from my twenties and, you know, familial issues, things like that. And, as I was, and I wasn't really going for alcohol. I just, you know, and I also didn't really share fully with the therapist. I wasn't like trying to be super guarded about my alcohol, but I don't think I fully let myself recognize like how bad things had gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I did, I like during that time of going to see the therapist, I did sort of recognize like this is, and with the wedding was like, this is not, you know, this is not normal and I don't feel good about my drinking. Um, but I just kind of plowed ahead for quite some time and didn't really, um, you know, didn't really listen to those instincts. Um, and then I had, I got pregnant with Georgie. So I taught for five years. I got pregnant with Georgie. I planned to go back to teaching, but I didn't, I took a leave of absence and then have not returned since, um, and I don't know. I think that the pregnancy was an interesting period for me because I was finally given a chance to reflect on my drinking and take a, like, you know, a break from alcohol. Um, it wasn't like a self-directed break, but it was a break. And, and the entire time I just remember being like, I can't wait to drink again. I'm really mm. looking forward to going back to drinking. And I also like plotted a big night out with my friends. I was like, we'll go to a drag show, you know, and just really go for it after, after Georgie is born and I'm feeling better, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get right back into it. And I did, you know, and, um, I feel really bad about that time because I just, I was just drinking so heavily in front of Georgie. I didn't, I didn't really think of it as a bad thing or something to hide from, my kids. I think it was kind of the culture I was raised in my immediate family. You know, my mom isn't a really big drinker, but I have older siblings and they, um, you know, drank growing up. And I just didn't think that's just what I thought was normal that you just mm. drank children. And, um, yeah. And I feel bad about that now looking back, but also I'm, I'm happy to be where I'm at now. Um, but so I was, I was drinking heavily in front of Georgie. I got pregnant again with Wilhelmina and, uh, you know, took another break. And my pregnancies have always been like, I get really, really sick, like really I'm in bed a lot and I'm suffering. And so it's funny that I did it as many times as I did for how 
yeah. or makes me feel. Um, but so I, I, but each time it wasn't like I was doing none of the um, emotional sobriety piece. It wasn't like I was reflecting, you know, and thinking like, mm-hmm. okay, how, how was drink? I was just like sick in bed, looking forward to drinking again. Um, yeah. And so had Wilhelmina went back to the drinking, you know, went back to the drinking just as heavily. Uh, and then, uh, I think in 2000, so that's pre Francis. Yeah. The, the COVID hit. And so, and we had similar situations in the States, you know, like lockdown, we weren't supposed to interact with other families. We were really, you know, supposed to isolate. And so, and eventually we found like a pod of people and we isolated with this like pod and it was a lot of drinking during that time. And during that time, I also got pregnant with Francis. And I even like, I drank more than I would like to admit while I was pregnant with Francis. You know, it makes me feel horrible to say that now, but it was just such a part of our lives and we were all drinking all the time. And so I would like, oh, I'll have a glass of wine. You know, that's fine. Pregnant women can have a glass of wine. But looking back, I'm like, I don't, why would I do that? That's horrible to even risk a moment of that with when you're pregnant. But I did. Um, and so Francis was born. It was still sort of that lockdown period. So I was quite isolated with Francis and our family. And um, yeah, again, went back into the drinking. And I think it was like around this time, I started to notice that like date nights weren't really that fun anymore because I would just use them as an opportunity to like to drink a lot of drinks so they weren't like relaxing or a moment to connect with Caleb or you know what I would have to recover so much from these that were supposed to be like fun you know rejuvenating nights out instead they were messy and we'd get in a fight or whatever because I would want to stay and drink longer or you know or something like that they were just I was just noticing more and more that it was and and I would make d- weird decisions. I would say weird things, you know, I would uh, just, it was um, just becoming more and more apparent to me that this was going on. And I think that I also, at some point, like maybe recognized that moderating was, I, I tried to implement all of these rules for myself for drinking, which I know I've heard a lot on your podcast as, as you know, like a telltale sign of like, this isn't this isn't going well for you. Um, but I would, I would be like, I'm only going to have two drinks or I'm only going to drink, um, on, you know, one day of the weekend. And, but it would be a very self-destructive, uh, plan for drinking because like, if I had the two drinks, then that would sort of like lessen my resolve, weaken my resolve. And I would end up drinking a lot more and then I would feel horrible and I would be so embarrassed, you know, like why I thought I was going to just have two, or I would say like, I'm only going to drink this one day of the week. And so I would really just let myself go crazy. And then I would be so hungover and sick when I was trying to take care of the children the next day. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just, it was, uh, it was just a recipe for disaster. It was just not, it wasn't going well. Um, and so, yeah, so that was kind of, yeah, the whole experience that I had with drinking. It was never, it was never a good, um, it was never a good situation for me. I feel like I started as a binge drinker and I feel like I've read a statistic or like a a bit of science somewhere that was 
talking about like if you are a binge drinker as like a teen or if that's kind of how you your intro to drinking that it really um it oftentimes means that you will continue as like a binge drink. Like you're not going to like pull back and be like, well, now I just have a glass or two of wine as a grown up, you know, like you just yeah. kind of stay in that vein. And I, I really did. It was just like, I could drink the house down anytime. And I also, it was like a part of my personality. I was like, I'm the fun mom mm-hmm. that gets really drunk. That's so cool of me. You know, like I just yeah. thought that was like, a, ah, I'm quirky and I get drunk all the time. Like, it wasn't a cool way to be, but I it was, I kind of tried to make it like a funny, quirky piece of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Like I, yeah. When you look back, it is just so mind blowing, isn't it? But I, I was like you as well. Just, you know, I'm, I'm that mom that brings two bottles of Prosecco to the lunchtime yeah. plate, you know, come on, let's get them open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so silly. Like I'm so yeah, funny. I'm so right. cool. I'm so fun. Yeah. yeah. But it's just uh, it's just car crash basically because it's like you start at you know whatever time you start in the day that just basically triggers the drinking until you you, you pass out at exactly. half ten or, or or what whatever like there was that just lengthens the window of drinking yeah. on those yeah. days doesn't it um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think as well, like, I was the same as you, um, and I do think this is quite taboo, and I was talking about this weirdly um, earlier. I was doing an interview with a, with an Irish paper this morning, and we were talking about, I was talking about, sorry, um, my drinking in pregnancy, and I said, oh, okay, well, I wasn't getting drunk in pregnancy, um, but... I was drinking, I was having, if I was going out, or if I was at a sort of nice specialish occasion um or a wedding or whatever you know I I'd have a glass of wine or, or two yeah. and I think in my first pregnancy I, I kept it very much to one or two but I do remember in my third pregnancy I would have the third and you know I'm kind of horrified of that now like I'm exactly the same as you I just think why would you do that so dangerous but it didn't feel really bad at the time because it, and, that, and I think that also tells you about the culture. I, I still think that the guidance, even in, within the last 10 years, has been at, at some points that, you know, that it, so long as you don't have too much, that it's, 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 it's fairly safe to have a glass of wine or to have a glass of one or two, you know, and, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that is not the case now, and uh, and and we also know in recently that there's been those papers published that have said that there's no safe amount of alcohol, pregnant or otherwise, like it's just not safe. But it definitely was kind of okay to do that, and that is quite sad, isn't it, when you reflect on that? But it was yeah. what it was, right? It's it's done, kind of thing. But and it's like you look back and you think, Oh my goodness. Like, I'm so glad that nothing, you know, yeah. is presented with, with Francis. Like she seems totally normal. She's an early talker, but I can't imagine living with that guilt and that frustration of like, it was just such a, a silly choice to make. And I would always tell myself, like, if I don't quote on, or you guys say, I've noticed from your podcast, inverted commas, but we say <laughs> quote unquote, um, uh, if I didn't catch a buzz, I would tell myself, then it would be fine. Like if I'm not like, if I don't feel buzzy from drinking, then it's not a problem. <clears throat> yes. Now I'm like, oh, 
Ugh, that's horrible. Like, yeah. Like, I don't know, you know, and that's different for everybody. It's like playing with fire. So, and I think at, I knew that, you know, my midwife had told me that there's no safe amount of alcohol. I was just, you know, flying by the seat of my pants doing what, mm. what I thought was appropriate. Um, but yeah, I feel bad. And I should say too, uh, or I wanted to include that. So I stayed in touch with Nathan, the child that I placed for adoption and he's 18 now we've stayed in, or no, he's 19 now and we've stayed in touch the whole way through and now he's quite we're close and he comes over to the family and he's met all the girls and so that situation did turn out really not you know really well yeah it was a traumatic you know start and it was really hard for me it was a really sad time but you know I'm so glad that he's a part of the world and our family and he's you know the girls call him their older brother and he has he has a lovely sister in his own family and his parents are fantastic but yeah um it's it was hard it was a hard thing yeah I can imagine it's it's quite a life-changing event that isn't it it's yeah yeah yeah. so um talk to me about how did you get to the point then where you just thought right I'm gonna I'm gonna stop um so I did a dry January um I think after Francis was born and um, it was nice, you know, it was nice to do like the 30 day break. I had a different appreciation for it when I wasn't sick with pregnancy um, and it was a self chosen break. Um, And I wrote a little piece about it and I, yeah, I, I thought it was nice, but I, the entire time was thinking like, of course I will be going back to drinking. Yes. So I did, go back to drinking. And I think like a lot of people that I've heard on the podcast and like I resonated with you, it, um, it really wasn't one specific thing that happened. I did go to a friend's house and we drank, um, and my husband was with us and, um, we drank like a million bottles of wine then. Like I literally have no idea how many bottles of wine we drank that night, but we drank them all. And it was so messy and sloppy and yucky. And I woke up the next morning and I just thought like, I can't, I don't really want to do this anymore. This is not fun. And weirdly that friend also got sober that day and we both stayed sober. And we're really a lot closer than we were before too. So it was Yeah. She's gone through periods of sobriety before. So she kind of returned to her sobriety. So Um, yeah. So I, I just decided like, I don't think that this, that I can do this anymore. Like I I have all these little people I'm in charge of during the day and I'm like nursing these, you know, intense hangovers. And I just, I can't like the alcohol is taking up so much mental chatter. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I just felt so stuck and so like ashamed all the time. And so like overwhelmed by the prospect of drinking or not drinking, Um, so I just thought like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take a break again. It started as like, I'll just take a break. I need a reset. Um, and so I decided to do, I'd heard somebody mention the Annie Grace, like 30 day, um, alcohol experiment. And so I really threw myself into that. I took all the prompts very seriously. I did all the journaling. Um, you know, I looked at people's comments online, 
Um, and so I, I really went for it with the, with the alcohol experiment and slowly throughout that 30 days, I started to realize like, I don't, I don't want to return to drinking. I didn't have the spontaneous relief of like ever wanting to drink again. Like, I feel like maybe because, because it is still, uh, a little bit of a fresher change for me. Um, I still do find myself like wishing I could drink, but I just prefer life now so much without alcohol that I'm hoping that, or I feel like I've heard that that's going to pass. And I just am very committed to this path, but, um, uh, like the science, it was fun to learn about the science behind it. I, I just realized like as these 30 days progressed that I, wanted to continue with sobriety that I, I needed to, I felt like it was the right choice. Um, and I would still have little like, you know, thoughts that were nothing really bad. You know, you've never gotten a a DUI or anything for drinking Mm. or driving under the influence is what they're called in, in the States or you've never, you know, you've never lost a job. You've never done anything outrageous while you were drinking, but it was, I think maybe only a matter of time before something like that happened. And, yeah, I'm so grateful to not have to worry about that constantly. Um, so I'm really glad to be on the side of it. But it was the Annie Grace experiment that helped me get here, really. I, that was the first time I did anything uh, to help with the emotional sobriety piece. Side. Yeah. So. Yes. And so you did the 30 days. And if we look to the hundreds, sort of like the first hundred days, what other things did you do to support yourself? And what did you go through from memory? Um, the third, the first hundred days was really up and down for me emotionally. I feel like I went through a lot of, um, interesting emotions Um, I did reach out. I saw a therapist during that time again. I just wanted a little bit of extra support if I was going to be making such a big change in my life, um, which was very helpful for me. Um, And I also really connected to that friend. I have two friends who are also sober and we, um, they're really close to me. And one of them has been sober for about seven years. And so she, I joke that she's like my low key sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> so we connect a lot about it and I could go to them with any of my thoughts or feelings. And it was huge to have their, them and their support. And we ended up like opening up our little friend group. We found a few more people like in the yoga community that we're a part of and, um, and elsewhere, just like other people that we've met along the way that were also sober moms. And so we have like a little sober moms group that gets together and talks. And I find that really fun and interesting. We don't even always like focus on sobriety when we meet. Sometimes it's just like having snacks and getting together. I think without like having alcohol there is Mm. nice for people sometimes. Um, But also I do, I, I think cause it is still like I said, a little bit like a newer change kind of fresh in my mind. I do like to talk about through the issues a lot too. So I appreciate having a space to like really deep dive on all the things that I'm thinking and feeling. I'll hear things on the podcast and then like, like I heard this tidbit that I really want to talk about, you know, I love it. Yeah. Love it. So that's your kind of, that's your tribe. And what's really nice about that as well is that is a physical tribe too. So it's people that you can meet up with and, 
have coffee and like like you say not be in that situation where you're going to be with a friend you know especially in the earlier days you're going to be in a, with a friend and they're going to want to go to a pub or well, a bar or they're going to want to bring a bottle of prosecco to, you know it's just like yeah. you know that that's off the table and yes. that you you don't you know they haven't got that additional layer of complexity to deal with that's so lovely yeah. that's really yeah. cool yeah, it's really nice. I actually said they were all moms, but there's actually somebody in the group that's a doula, but she's not a parent. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it is really lovely. I've, I've really have enjoyed connecting. I think connection has been a huge piece that's helped for mm-hmm. me over those 100 days. And it is still like, I feel very committed to this choice. I would, I have no plans or intentions to ever drink again. At first, I've heard you talk about on your podcast. I remember you saying that you had this idea of you as like an elderly woman drinking some, I can't, I, it wasn't an alcohol I was familiar with, but I at first was like, and then someday when I'm old, I'll drink again, but I'm yeah. not going to now, but now I don't, I feel less inclined or I, it doesn't interest me. I don't, I wouldn't want to do that, but I do still feel like it's the spring is here. And I um, feel myself just, I feel like I have like this brain chemistry that still wants to like associate everything with alcohol. Like I want to be yeah. like, I'll have a bonfire and at the bonfire we'll bring fancy beers or we'll do, you know, I don't know. I associate so many summer activities with mm. drinking. Mm. I feel like I just kind of need to like keep walking through the seasons and without yes. alcohol just to like rewrite those memories. But yeah, I but see. I feel like I just, yeah. Yeah. In that yeah. time where it still feels kind of difficult for me to like, uh, it feels like a decision that I'm making that I have to stick to. It's not just like an easy flow for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, it's in that kind of, it's conscious competence mode, isn't it? It's like yeah. you're competent at not drinking, but you are still having to think about that or manage that process on some level. It's not unconscious competence, which is, where it's just you you just don't drink and you don't think about it at all like you've like you say those brain connections that have been formed over however many years you know decades even yeah. of your life where you have lived all of your experiences using alcohol you just have a lot less in your evidence cup still even you know, 237 days in which is amazing and it's coming up to a year and all of that stuff very soon um but I found the same thing. Like you do, you just have to keep going kind of like over and over and over it until you've just got more than one or two, you know, experiences of each thing. You just got to get a few more experiences under your belt. And then I think, I do think the brain then just starts to, it starts to kind of like disconnect with those memories and thoughts. And then obviously you've got all these lovely new ones, which are, it's just your life not to drink and you don't have to, there's, there's, you don't have to think about it at all. You're not, you're not getting triggered by sunshine or beaches or anything else, you know, but. Um, and I'm looking forward to that, to that period. Uh, but I also feel like it's valuable, like learning about the brain science and being able to kind of push back on something that would have probably caused me to drink again without that knowledge, I think has been exciting and empowering too so I'm trying to appreciate all the stages that you know as they're as they're happening I also know I think you talked about it one time it was just a little blurb or something I don't even remember who your guest was but um you were talking about how 
you have like a pleasure scale of like one to 10 in your brain and hitting the, or, and, you know, drinking alcohol or imbibing like a lot of alcohol really quickly can hit that like 15 in your brain, which is totally artificial. But I, I feel that I, that like was so empowering for me to hear because it really, I think thought of alcohol is so fun. Like I'm always having such a good time when I'm drinking, uh, but it would be a relatively short amount of time and there would be a huge cost for that 20 minutes of like mm-hmm. euphoria, you know, or even, I don't even know if you would call it euphoria. Um, but I feel like reacquainting myself with like the smaller pleasures has been mm-hmm. a very like slow, but steady and very exciting process. But it's interesting to understand that and feel like this isn't going to be a 15 pleasure moment. Mm. It's going to be an eight pleasure moment and it'll be Mm. really lovely and exciting. Um, Mm. but it's not going to be artificial, you know, Mm. zero to a hundred. It's going to be. And so I think, um, letting myself understand that has really shifted my perspective around like seeking the little joys that I do now. That's so lovely. I, yeah, I use that a lot, actually. <laughs> the the 15 out of 10, I call it, which is like yeah. the, the impossible artificial high that you get from drinking. And, you know, just thinking about if you're doing that every week, you, you're just training. You know, your brain is just so trained to get that 15 out of 10. And I think that's quite difficult for people in, in the beginning of sobriety. It's like you're not getting that 15 out of 10 again. But that's okay because 15 out of 10 is unsustainable and it's not real. It's not pure. And like you say, it doesn't last. It's like straight up and then straight down. <laughs> Whereas when you uh, kind of come down off that and your brain starts to have to relearn how to get the highs from everyday things or like you say, the small joys, which may be only at a six or seven, but that's still quite high on the scale of 10. You know, it's like it's kind of like remanaging your own expectations with what is achievable and relearning what is a good level of, of high. Like sometimes a five and six out of 10 is enough. Sometimes right. we, we want an eight or nine out of 10, but it's nice to not have that every day. Like you've got to be able to have the kind of rough with the smooth in some ways to appreciate the, the nines. Um, and, but they do last longer. So once they are, once you cultivate that dopamine, that internal kind of dopamine hit, you, it does last for much longer. And there is actually a really good graphic somewhere. I should try and find it, but it shows the scale of like, the dopamine hit from, you know, drugs or drinking is like straight up and down. Whereas the dopamine from the birds singing in your garden at twilight, which is so beautiful and lovely to listen to and relaxing. And it's like a slowly going up and you get to like that seven and then it like hangs around at seven for a little while and then tails off. And it's just so, it's a great visual. Yeah. That is very nice. Yeah. It's good. Having that bit of information has been really helpful in like having compassion for my brain, like understanding that my brain just kind of wants to go for this 15 because that's how it was trained for years and years and years. And that's where I got a lot of pleasure. But I noticed towards the tail end of my drinking that small pleasures weren't really bringing me pleasure, like little moments with my children or like you say, the birds in the garden or a little walk or I wouldn't, it wasn't really fun for me anymore. You know, I was sort of like always wanting to drink or always wanting to. And so to be able to connect and find joy in those little moments has been really lovely and exciting, you know, been the world for me. It's really changed everything. So 
I'm so happy to be in a place without the 15. Like the 15 is, I don't know, it's not sustainable, like you said. Yeah. And I think that is so transformational when you can get to a place where um, you can catch yourself in the moment, noticing how lovely a moment is because you're just, you're in it and you're feeling and all your senses are alert and that might just be you know I've had many moments like that with my youngest child um who's now a toddler and and she just now she hates books for some reason but she loved books when she was like when she was sort of one or one and a half every night we would read books in her bedroom on a big beanie um, chair and she would go and pick the book and she'd bring it back and she'd sit next to me and we'd we'd turn the pages together and she'd try she'd be starting to try and learn her first words and we'd be so excited when she'd got a word right. And it's just like very tiny moments like that. And I I, I would catch myself, like it makes me feel emotional even talking about it, but I'd catch myself thinking, God, I wish I could bottle this moment. It's just, it's so pure and lovely and simple. And I think a lot of that is because, to be honest, with my older two children, I didn't love those moments. I didn't have space for those moments because I was rushing through bedtime stories. I was clumping pages together and turning them so that I could get, you know, bye-bye, night-night. <laughs> I could go and pour some wine. Like, I just wasn't in it. I just found it a chore, found it annoying, boring, you know, all those sorts of things. Um but with but with Sadie, my little one, it's just like it's it feels magical and it feels special to be connected in that moment, to be there for her and with her, and to try so hard to form the memory in my head so that I don't forget, you know, just how simple and nice that moment was. And I think that is being able to do that. And I think also as well, when you start to cultivate that awareness and, and, and really open up to that, it comes more and more, you know, it's like you open the gates to it. But, and it, and so you have those moments every day, you have those moments of joy, you're just aware of more things. I think that's lovely. Yeah. I feel like you start to kind of cultivate a mindset where you're noticing the moments and the gratitude, I think, brings in more and more moments. And I, I totally agree. And I a hundred percent resonate with the like rushing through and not really finding the joy. And it also makes me feel so horribly to think that, you know, I just wasn't really appreciating or enjoying the time uh, with my older children. But I also, I feel like I try to let that go. And I, I want to feel proud of myself for being Mm -hmm. this example to them now. And, and Georgie is so, you know, quite young, she's six years old. So I feel like she will grow up with a mom who's, you know, healthy and really paying attention to her own emotional needs and, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and doing so is able to be more present. And, um, so I, I didn't feel, I, I don't know that I had an example of that growing up. I didn't really understand that there were people who just didn't drink. I thought, all adults drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, um, I'm excited to, to be that. I'm excited to be that for myself, but I'm really, I'm also excited to, to offer that example for my children and to be feeling better in my own body and in my own life so that I can be a better parent. Yeah. It's, that's a really, it's a lovely feeling. And, and I think I stand with you as well that I think it is easy to look back and feel shame and berate yourself for, 
um, being in that situation but it's it's not about that you know sorry that situation where you're not in the moment with your kids and things like that like I think I know for myself when I look back now at myself when I was drinking with young kids you know I I was just trying to feel better and you know I'm not a bad person um, I just unfortunately developed a bad habit of using alcohol to keep me company or to make me feel better, um, to make me feel less lonely. You know, I was a single parent as well in, in those days and I was always doing it on my own every night and it just, you know, all of that stuff. And that's really helped me to foster compassion and, and to stop shaming myself for those things. Like, you know, it's just all about, at the end of the day, so, so much, not all, but so much drinking or over-drinking is about just just wanting to feel better about things in life or about yourself. Um, and you're not a bad person for, for being in that place. And for people that are listening that are still in that place, like I don't want you to feel shame that you're not connected to every moment of joy in your life. It's just that if you are feeling weighed down by your drinking and that you feel like there is a better way for you to live, we're trying to explain that, yeah, of course, there's all these kind of challenges when you, when you, when you first get sober, there's lots of bits and pieces to work through and to deal with. But this is the big transformational upside, I think, of not drinking is learning how to be self-reliant, how to look internally to support yourself and and also to like you say just to just to find happiness in what you have and not always chasing that unattainable high really that because you can't get it naturally it's got to come from some kind of drug it's just nice to be able to not be in that place like it kind of like it's the reward of your hard work in some ways kind of yes yeah no totally I relate to that yes I I agree I feel like I, yeah, just went through such a, a dark time with the drinking and, and children and like the shame and the, and I do feel like if I have compassion for that person is that's when I grow more. And I feel Mm -hmm. like the brain science helps me have a bit more compassion for the way that I was and the way that I was handling things. But it's interesting, like the alcohol would, um, it would like bring on more. I was deal- I was drinking alcohol because I think there was a lot of this trauma and that was just sort of the patterning that I was used to. And it was like a relief from maybe the monotony of, tra- of having small children. Um, but it started because I was running away from traumatic feelings and traumatic events, but the alcohol would bring in more trauma. Like I would have dark nights. I would bring, you know, do things that made me and so it was like a, a cycle, but mm. like you said, it wasn't because I was a bad person or because mm. I'm a unkind person or unthoughtful person. It's just really, you know, how, how it works if you're mm. drinking. And so, um, yeah, I feel really grateful to be on the other side of it now. I didn't, I didn't think this for myself, but some days I wake up and I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I don't drink anymore. That's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know it's quite weird that isn't it I um yeah I I think I had that for a while and for me that's morphed into 
I wake up and I go, oh God, I'm so glad I'm not hungover. And oh, I'm so glad that I don't have to drink at this thing we're going to today. Or I'm so glad that I don't have, I'm not drinking at this wedding. You know, I do have those sorts of thoughts quite regularly still, but um, I definitely think there was some mild shock (laughs) in the early days because I was just such a big drinker, you know, I love, I just loved drinking or at least I, you know, I thought I loved it. And, and I think out of all my friends, I was the one that just wasn't going to get sober. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, same for me. Same for but me. I did. And yeah. yeah. And, and, and all, and all this like amazing stuff has come since, since that. So, or because of that. Um, but for you, what were like, can you remember what were the, specific challenges that you had to navigate like what was the hardest bit for you in stopping drinking um I think the hardest bit is I really looked to alcohol as like a relief as like a this is because this is the moment that I'm gonna like turn my brain off and relax and uh I'm gonna do that with alcohol so at first I think it was finding ways to relax and like let my brain kind of relax and turn off without alcohol. That was the first, I would say, bit, Um, which it didn't end up being that hard, um, but it was a big shift. It did. It was um, different. Mm. Um, And then I think socially it was difficult for me. Like I said, my family, um, like my mom isn't a super heavy drinker, but alcohol is around a lot at all of our family functions. And, um, I was nervous to not have alcohol to sort of, uh, just enjoy while I was there. But also I was worried about other people's reactions to me mm-hmm. not drinking, not just in my family, I guess also in like friend groups and, um, And even now, sometimes I just, well, like if somebody's like, oh, you're not drinking, I'll just be like, yep. Cause I just, I, sometimes I just kind of get annoyed at feeling like you have to like make a proclamation and say like, yes, I'm not drinking. And this is why, you know, and give everybody all of the details. Sometimes I don't Mm -hmm. like to do that. So I just refuse to, um, but, uh, yeah, the, that was difficult for me. And I would say that it has gotten significantly easier. Like now uh, is that like, I'm able to go to like family functions or larger parties and not feel like, oh, is there going to be alcohol there? Will it be hard for me? What will that feel like? And I do think that the podcast helps uh, listening to things like the podcast and reading. And, um, but because I knew like from hearing people talk about that is a relatively short feel it like it comes and you maybe will feel like be gripped by this feeling of like oh I wish I could drink that white wine or I just you know I would really love whatever they're having um but that does pass quickly if you're able to sit with it and recognize that you're having that feeling and also I really rely heavily on the playing it forward for me helps so much because it's a great tool yes and I feel like I and my friend my low-key um AA sponsor we don't go to AA but (laughs) my Loki sponsor, she's was, has complimented me and said like, you've gotten so good at doing that because I will, I'm able to think to myself now relatively quickly. It just like, you know, is a thought process that is starting to happen more naturally on its own that like it, maybe it would 
be nice to have a glass of white wine. But for me personally, it was never a glass of white wine. Mm -hmm. So what would it look like 20 minutes in? I would be, you know, drinking probably on like my third glass of white wine Mm -hmm. by that point and saying things I didn't want to say or making decisions I didn't want to make. And, and the night would go from there. And it was never for me like a, and then we finished the bottle of wine and I had a cup of tea or something like, no, I would, you know, I was drinking until I went to till I poured myself into the sheets at the end of the night. So, (laughs) yeah. uh, So I, I don't miss that. And I am glad to not be there. So when I'm able to play it forward, it's like, okay, I don't really want that. That's not for me. Yeah, it's it's such a powerful tool, isn't it? That uh, for those of you listening that don't know it, it's playing playing out the movie in your head of what mm-hmm. having that first drink that you're really craving for, how that plays out. You know, what does it look like at nine o'clock at night, or you know, assume, assuming you're doing it in the evening, but and then again at eleven o'clock, and how do you go to bed, and how about three a.m. and what do you what do you wake up like? What does the next day look like? I mean, I I, I can just get to like nine o'clock, and it's all it makes me shudder. Yeah. I just think, oh. Yeah. <laughs> nine o'clock may be even the worst bit for me because that's when I'm kind of deciding like, oh, I'm going to, you know, keep going really hard with the drinking when I should be shutting off. So yes. playing it, playing it out has been very helpful. And also I think that understanding of like that grip of like you, the anxiety of wanting the drink, it, it doesn't last very long. You know, it comes mm-hmm. and it goes and then you can enjoy the rest of your night without alcohol as well you know so it's not like it's not I think in my mind I would sometimes build it up around and then I'll just for the entire night I'll be sitting there like white knuckling it like wanting the thing and it just it isn't that way for me it you know it's a a passing feeling so it is it and I think people don't realize that actually because I think a lot of the time um if the if the craving is very strong and 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 you you know you think well I I need to give into this and, and have this drink um and but you you don't you don't have to give into it and actually in that situation your your best and most powerful friend is distraction (laughs) and even taking 10 deep breaths can completely distract your mind and make you stop thinking about it but you know but that's just one of many tools that you can use but um, if you can distract yourself and playing it forward you know it's great distraction technique it's thinking about um, what's going to happen afterwards or um, yeah looking at some quotes on your phone or you know, reaching out to a friend whatever it is or the, or the community just distract yourself and I think you're right I think it's surprising how quickly that passes that feeling it's- and then I think there is a moment of like I'm so gl- I'm proud of myself for sitting with that mm-hmm. and moving through it and now I can you know enjoy the rest of my night it's not stagnant I think that's true of all feelings but I think it's hard to remember that sometimes that it doesn't you know it's not static you're not going to sit in that feeling forever it's you know you can move through it and distract yourself too like you're saying and I think Mm -hmm. and maybe that's some of that you know you're building new neural pathways of you know around not drinking and so you can pat yourself on the back for doing that hard work and you know then go on and enjoy your night so yeah 100% you've got to give yourself credit for that especially I think always celebrate the small wins in the beginning as well well beginning and the middle and you know I still do it now four years in I'm still good at congratulating myself (laughs) good I think that's so important and it feels good to have reasons to congratulate yourself because I think 
pre quitting, I was definitely in a place with myself of like a embarrassment a lot yeah. and putting and yourself down shame. and yes. yeah, shame. Um, and so if you're open to sharing your journey, how can we find you? Yes. Um, so I'm on Instagram. I have a family page. I post a lot of kid pictures, um, uh, at Meggie it's M E G with five E's after it. So M E G E E E E E E. Um, and also I have another page, uh, mom and pop vintage, and I mostly sell vintage on that one, but, um, the family page would be totally fine to reach out. And I would love to, to chat with anybody if they, if anything resonated with them. I love it. Um, what would be, if you had three tips, uh, to summarize your journey so far in, in the things that have really worked for you that could help other people either who want to jump into sobriety or who are just looking for a bit of inspiration in sobriety, what would they be? Yeah, I think I would, my three tips would be, um, to find some people. So any, if that's, uh, physical people in your real life, as they say, um, that's nice. That's what ended up happening for me. But I think like, I know thrive sounds like a really great place to, connect with people as well. Right away, even there was like some message boards on the, um, Annie Grace, uh, app that I had that was really nice to just read what other people were going through. And it, and it made me realize that it is a process. That's like a pretty, like a lot of the feelings are happening with other people as well. I'm not alone in this. I'm not weird having these thoughts over here. A lot of people feel very similarly. Um, and then it gives you tools to kind of think and approach those feelings differently, cravings or other feelings that you might be having about alcohol. Um, I also think something that we touched on a little bit throughout this is like giving yourself some grace, because I think there is a period of um, just toying with the idea. Um, and I think by the time I had decided that's it, I'm done. I had maybe done more work than I recognized leading up mm-hmm. to that point of thinking about it and uh, reflecting on what alcohol was like and was doing in my life. And, um, and I think when I was ready, then, you know, like things just kind of fell into place and maybe I didn't, like I said, consciously recognize that that was happening, but I felt really ready to let alcohol go when it was time, you know, when it, when that all happened for me. So, and it took a lot of, I mean, there were so many years I'm, uh, 39 and I, drank so heavily for so many years, you know, just knowing that it probably wasn't healthy and wasn't, or not probably, I knew that it wasn't healthy for me. Um, but I just was kind of continuing down this path and it felt really good when it was all, when I was ready to let it go. And I think just letting yourself, you know, walk that, do what you need to do, walk that path. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the final bit would be to have your, like, uh, the emotional side, like, um, do have some books that you're reading. You know, I've read a lot of quit lit, quit literature, as they say, and, um, or filling my Instagram with people that I felt you were one of the first people that I found. And then I, you know, fell into the podcast and I just was like, we're the same. Like I would look at her, your post and be like, I am the same person. We're the same. And so, and like would show them to my husband and he'd be like, cool. He's not even on Instagram. He's like, yeah, that's, those are interesting posts. Um, but 
like, you know, I think having that, like, so if you have a little bit of, like you say, a little bit of a wobble or whatever, you know, you can go on and you can see and you can kind of get some affirmation. Um, and I think just to have that information continually percolating in your brain, because I feel like even at the stage that I'm at now in my sobriety, there is a part of my brain, like my reptilian brain, I feel like that's like, okay, we've done the, we've proved that we cannot drink, but maybe now we should just drink again, you know, but I've, um, given myself, uh, this opportunity to experience life without alcohol. And I'm continuing to like learn about it and surround myself with people who don't drink. So I'm setting myself up for success. Mm. um, And I think that's a big piece for me. So learning about it, filling your Instagram page with it. If you, you know, if you're on Instagram, like things like that, I just think it's so helpful. It like really keeps you on the path. Whereas I feel like it's easy to kind of wander off or it can be easy to wander off with just the Mm. way way our brains work, you know? So, um, yeah, I would say those are the most, and then definitely the two specific little tools that I use a lot are playing it forward and just acknowledging that, you know, there are difficult feelings, but it's okay to sit with those difficult feelings and they will pass. Yeah, such, such great advice. Um, what, if you could go back and talk to yourself on your day one, what would you say? Oh, I was so scared on my day one because I felt like I wasn't going to be the same person anymore and I wasn't going to be fun and I wasn't going to enjoy things anymore. So I feel like if I could go back and talk to that, that person who was, you know, rolling around in bed with a horrible hangover, um, I would just reassure her that it would be life would feel different, but it would feel so much better. It would be, it'd be so, it's so wonderful now to feel like I can trust myself fully and I'm not going to do, say things that I don't mean or pick a fight that isn't meaningful to me with my husband or, you know, I don't like, I, I can finally really trust myself and also forgive myself for all of the things that I've done in the past too, but from a very clear headed, thoughtful place. Um, and I can't, I think that person on day one, I mean, I don't think she would even know what that would feel like. You know, she wouldn't even mm-hmm. be able to wrap her mind around that. Um, cause it had been such a long time, you know, so many years of living in that space of doing, you know, cringy things all the time and, you know, being weird all the time. So I think that is really what I would want to let her know. Like there is so much there for you it'll look different than how it looks right now um but it's gonna it it just feels so much better and so much truer to be in my life in this state than you know than it did before so oh it's so lovely I love that it's different but better yes that's a great way that's a great way to wrap up uh thank you so much Maggie for your time today Um, I loved hearing your story you explain yourself so well and yeah it was nice to come on the journey with you and um, yeah really grateful for you so thank you so much thank you so much it's been so great to be here I'm so happy I've listened to all of the stories Uh, everyone has touched me so I'm so happy to be able to be a part of the community that's it and you know give back it's it's nice to do that isn't it it's yeah very rewarding Um, And so, yeah, thanks everybody else. Until next time, 
See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.